0: ends quickly doesn't it just sort of pow there it is well good morning and welcome to new spring i tried to find something this morning that would be new spring blue and i think i got about as close to it as i can get what do you think about that so i'm either ready to go bowling or go on a cruise i don't know which one man it feels like a cruise outside in this most wonderful weather you do have an awesome god I think about God. You know, he could have done the world in, in real garish colors, but isn't it cool they did the world in earth tones? I mean, isn't that? that That's just really something when you think about it. By the way, uh, we're not ready quite yet, but next weekend we're going to have a lot of opportunity if you want to, like, get something to, to uh, show which church you attend. Isn't that kind of neat? I like that. And there will be several of these. I did not model it for you this morning because... Uh, I didn't see it till I got here, but this is just really exciting. I like this, so we're not quite ready. But next weekend, if you'd like to do that to, to communicate to your friends uh, where where you go, that'd be, that's a great opportunity. I don't know. Where I'll put this. I'll put this right here, and uh, it is numbered. So if anybody comes and takes it, we'll know. <clears throat> we'll know it's gone. Um, I'm in a series right now called "How to Be Truly Likable," and it's it's probably not the normal service that you would or a sermon series that you would hear in a church, at least a church like ours. In fact, I can't, I can't find any other minister who's ever brought a series of messages, at least recently, uh, on this subject of how to be truly likable. And the internet's a big thing, but I can't find it on the internet. So either I'm the dumbest pastor who ever lived or one of the more innovative. I sort of lean toward the primary. But in any event, I just want to talk to you for a few moments about this subject because it is all over the Bible. This is what I'm struggling with. I, c- I can't figure out why we don't talk about this a lot. And I know that in church, you're, you're, we're accustomed to hearing doctrine but you know, folks, they're, just like the book of Romans is God's word, Proverbs is God's word too. And a lot of times, people who are people of faith or people who follow Jesus or save people or any terminology you want to use for somebody who's born again, many times our issue is we know doctrine, but a lot of times we're kind of backward when it comes to relating to other people. And considering the fact that our Lord left us here for the primary purpose of enrolling followers in the family of god more members of the family of god people, bringing people to christ we really need to take a good look at this Oh, we need to take a good look at this so today i want to talk to you about how to be truly likable before i get into this morning's message though I, I want to tell you about something that happened in my family if you read my blog you probably have already gotten this story so you can zone out for a few moments so you can hear me tell it um verbally but um last week, last Sunday afternoon, Mary Alice and I were sitting on on our deck, and we got a phone call from Texas that her uncle had passed away. And it was on her dad's side, her dad's brother-in-law. And the family wanted to know, would I come and conduct service? And I'm really grateful for that. For one thing, I'm an in-law, and and her family on both sides has asked me to come many times and speak at the memorial service. It's really, really important to Mary Alice because although most of her family are believers, she has a son that she's praying about. So as you can imagine, this gives me a marvelous opportunity to share faith with her family. And uh, we, we were on the back deck. The only problem that I had with conducting this uncle's service, as you know, we've been here for 22 years, and, and um, we were in Houston before that, so we really have been away from, from home for a long time. And I only met this uncle one time. I think I was like 18 years old, and it was at a, another family tragedy with the death of another family member, and, and uh, they were there at the home and, and Maralce's house, and I remember sitting down talking to this guy, and all I remember, he looked kind of like Popeye. You know, he's kind of short, wise and guy And you know, big big muscles He just—he sort of looked like Popeye I mean, Any moment you sort of like expect him to rip off the top of the can Of the spinach and pour it down And, and you know, that kind of thing But he was the most friendly guy in the world I mean, I'm an 18 year old kid, I've never met him before But we just sat down, and we talked, it was like I'd known him forever That was my only time to talk with him So last weekend on the deck I said, Mary Alice, I need you to tell me Give me some, give me some information And so she just started kind of like Telling me what it was like, you know, when she was a kid growing up and uh, she said, you know, he was my favorite uncle. And her three older sisters told me the same thing when I got to Texas. They said, our favorite uncle. And isn't your favorite uncle just the coolest person on the planet? I mean, you know, if you think about favorite uncle, that's just cooler than mom and dad or anybody else in the world. And that's what he was like. For a long time, he, he, he and his wife couldn't have kids. And Mary Alice remembered how that he just like doted on all of his nieces, you know. And then the time came when they because they couldn't have a child biologically they adopted a son he became the love of their lives and and over and over and over morales would say to me and others would say to me he was just the most giving gracious person in the world he was he was not a a challenge or difficulty for anybody he was just like he was he whatever people needed he just did i mean he would just give people anything they, they wanted and I, I, when I saw his body in the casket, I, I, he, he sort of looked. in growing up in Texas, maybe it's like this in Kansas. I, you sort of know this kind of guy. When he was buried, you know, he, he they had he was there was Roy Acuff music in the in the in the background and Kitty Wells and all this kind of stuff. And on the wings of a snow white dove. And in his casket, he had on a ball cap and a clip on tie, which means he never wore a tie. And. All, all, all the time, we kept hearing these things. He, you know, and when Meryl Simon I were on our deck and, and I was trying to talk about him and she was trying to talk about him, we just turned and looked at each other and on cue, on cue, we said he was likable. And he was. He was just the most likable guy in the world. And, and I stood there at the casket while, while many people poured by. And here's a guy who's 84 years old and the funeral chapel's nearly full, which is very unusual for an elderly person. This, it sort of happens sometimes, but not as often as I wish. And the people just came by and they would shake my hand they would tell me, man, this guy was, and they didn't use the word likable necessarily, but they would use a synonym. This guy was something. And so I I thought, here's the the deal that brings me to this morning's message. You know, at the end of people's lives, my guess is the moment when I talk about Mary Alice's uncle, you got somebody that you're transposing into that story because you know somebody who was like that and you went to their funeral and everybody said, that that old girl was likable. That guy was likable. Well, my question is, does, does likability need to remain this sort of nebulous thing that we walk by a casket and, you know, we, we, we say he was likable? Then, of course, the next perfunctory line is, doesn't he look natural? Well, why, where does that come from? Why do people say that? Well, the person is, is not here anymore. You know, why do we say he looks natural? But anyway, uh, we'll save that for another message. But, but my question is, do we have to wait for that? Because is likability some sort of intangible, nebulous thing that can't be grasped or, or, or is it something that has very measurable criteria? Because if it has measurable criteria, I want to be all over. Because first of all, I want to know what makes a person likable. If I have any of it, I want to recognize it. And I want to know how to pump it up. And I want to know how to be more likable. Because likability opens doors. Likability is tantamount to attractiveness. I'm not talking about physical attractiveness. In fact, that leads me to a point. What we've seen over and over and over again is that likability doesn't come down to a person who has perfect appearance. Because who does? And this is one thing that really scares me with a lot of times, with all of us, but especially with, with teenage girls. Because our, our, our culture just screams at teenage girls, if you're not perfect, you're not likable. And the truth of the matter is, what our world calls perfect sometimes looks scary to me. You know? I mean, it looks unhealthy. And, and thankfully, our culture is starting to wake up to that. But likability doesn't come down to how you look. I mean, I just want you. I mean, I've been I've been begging you from the very first service. Think about the people that you like. Are do they are they perfect in appearance? Are they all young? Are they all glamorous? Do they all have scintillating outgoing personalities? Some of the most likable people in my life are very very shy, quiet people that you have a hard time getting a word out of. That's just their personality, and yet at their core, they have these they have these traits. That make them very, very likable. That's what this whole series is about. And that's why I brought you the first two messages, and that's why I'm bringing you this third. In my I'm just for those of you of my personality type, this is to me the most important message in the series. Go ahead and come next week, because it's important too. But this is to me the most important part of being likable for me as a person. So what is it? Well, let me tell you the story before I tell you what it is. When I was real young, in my mid twenties, I got this car and it was beautiful. Four years old, but I mean it was immaculate inside and outside. It looked like shoo, just came right off the showroom. I think if I remember right, it was a, like a Ford LTD coupe. Now that sounds kind of cranky for those of you who like something a little more racy, but I mean it was a magnificent car. Just beautiful. And I got a wonderful, wonderful deal on it, which when I talk about what I'm about to talk about, I might explain why I got a wonderful, wonderful deal on it. And, but my problem was that the car wouldn't start. <laughs> now, before I say that, because you say, well, Mark, you know, check the battery, check the alternator, check the radio. I mean, I want you to know we checked everything out. And it wasn't like it wouldn't start continuously or like it was slow to crank. I mean, most of the time it would start just fine, start just fine, start just fine, start just fine. I mean, it might go three weeks and start every time. And then on one occasion, read that the worst possible time it wouldn't start. It would just look at me and stick out its tongue at me. I mean, from the steering wheel, it would stick out its tongue just to mock me that it wasn't going to start. And I wouldn't say any curse words, but if somebody had written something out for me, I'd have signed my name. I guarantee you, it was just, it was awful. I remember, but I had it for several years. In fact, the first trip I made to Wichita I, I, I hadn't had any problem with it for weeks, and we drove all the way up here to Wichita, and that's when the speed limit was 55 miles an hour, so it took a day and a half to get here from Texas. And, and the very first time, the very first time, I tried to start the car in Sedgwick County, it wouldn't start. And, I mean, mechanics checked it out. They puzzled over it. I mean, it was like they took it to universities and studied it and became a case study. and People said, what's wrong with this car? And, and every once in a while, somebody would would... would venture a guess as to what it might be but we never figured it out it was a high maintenance car just like there are high maintenance cars there are high maintenance people now let me tell you what a high maintenance car makes me want to do it makes me want to get away as fast as i can high maintenance people have the same effect on me I want to get away from them as fast as I can. That doesn't mean a a person with needs. Because you know a person, and in fact, some of the most likable people I know of have great needs, and we want to meet those needs. I'm not talking about that. So if you're here today and you're struggling to distinguish the difference between someone who has great needs and someone who's high maintenance, let me give you what makes all the difference in the world. A high-maintenance person is willfully needy, willfully needy. They don't have to be needy. But they are. So I've been asking you to think about examples. And so I'll think of some. And then while I'm talking, if you don't mind, maybe you can think of some too. But I thought about what makes a person high maintenance. Because high maintenance people can have a lot of different manifestations of it. Some some high-maintenance people that I've been around and worked with or whatever always have a crisis going. <gasps> you know, anybody like that where you work, oh, they go to work, and, man, it's like by 9 o'clock, there's some sort of dramatic crisis going on. Everything is a drama, you know, and you're always having to calm them down. Oh, it's going to be okay. Oh, it's not going to be okay. Most of the time what they're doing is they don't know how to do their jobs. And they keep a drama going so that everybody understands why they can't get their job done. That's one high-maintenance person. I've known, especially guys, not ladies, but guys that do this, sort of have this blustery thing going all the time. Just blustery all the time. Just jerk people around with a sort of blustery demeanor as if I'm going to intimidate you into doing what I want you to do. Now, you know what I love to do with those people? I love to try to intimidate them. You know, I'm the kind of guy, if you ask me for something, I'll give you anything you want. If you try to intimidate me, you better be prepared to kill me. That's fact. And, and but these people really do get under my skin. And I've met guys like this. And most of the time, you know what? They're the biggest cowards in the world. How many of you, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you discover with one of these blustery dudes that all you have to do is sort of get right back at them, and they sort of wilt, you know? And then, they, then, then, then they're the persecuted one. And then there are these people that are high-maintenance people because they, they try to create fear in people. A lot of, a lot of people in marriages do this. This is, how they, this is how they live out their marriage and always trying to create fear in the other person, insecurity, excuses. Oh, I meant to get to that. Oh, man, I, I, know, I, I know I promised to have that project ready, but, you know, I had this happen and that happened. The dog ate my homework and, and the, you know, the bridge washed out. People always have excuses. And all of us are going to have a legitimate excuse from time to time, but a high-maintenance person just has them all the time. Carelessness. You know, people that just are careless in the way that they do the things. People that you have to prop up. I mean, you ever work with somebody like this? It's like you always have to prop them up. You spend your work day propping this person up. And then you're working three or four hours after, you know, maybe longer than that. You're working all night to do your job because all day long you propped up this person. Um, Here's another high-maintenance person, person with a lack of perspective. All they can see is their stuff, you know. And you try to say, you know, the world is a big place. And they're saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. I see everything right here. And you're saying, no, you don't see. Demanding. Now, I don't know. You probably came up with some. These are the ones that I thought about when I thought about the high-maintenance people that I've, I've run into in my life. Now, here's what happens. And I don't think any of you are high-maintenance here because the series is lackability. You probably would stay away when you saw the title. But let me just, let me just say this. For those of us who might tend on occasion to be high-maintenance, there's a parable for you. When I was a kid in school, and you're going to really know my age, you're going to know how, how long it's been since I've been in kindergarten because all of you who are probably under 40, you probably never heard this parable, but it, it goes something like this. It's called The Boy Who Cried what? Oh, okay. Well, maybe maybe it, maybe I don't, Maybe it's still going around. I had to try to remember it last night in the Saturday evening service while I'm up here, and I, I couldn't exactly remember the parable, but I'm going to try. It goes something like this. Here's this kid that was he was uh, asked to like watch the sheep or something, and for some reason he... he, he 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 thought this you know this wolf was out to get him and he screamed that a wolf was coming and the townspeople rushed out to help him and he was just playing with them he was just jerking them around and when they got there they saw there was no wolf and i think he tried again they came again and finally he was out there and a real wolf came and he cried wolf and everybody everybody just said hey he's don't take him seriously and he got eaten by the wolf now that's just a parable, but I'm going to tell you what. There are a lot of high maintenance people who understand that parable very well because oh, they had this number and people say, "Oh, we're going to come help you." We're so sorry that you're flustered. You do that four or five times, and after a while, oh, that can happen. You say, "Just ignore." Or somebody comes in and busts right now. Oh, you better do this the way I want you. The first time you say, "Oh, I guess I better do what he's telling me to do." You go through it about three or four times. You ride that bus several times, and after a while, you just say, "I don't think I'm going to board." Now, my, my goal for us today is not to talk about high maintenance. I want to talk to us about being a low-maintenance person. Because, see, people are high-maintenance because they think there's power there. They think, if I, if I bluster, I'll get my way. Or if I do this thing, I won't have to do my job. If I'm demanding, I'll get what I want. Those people think that there's power in that. But what you and I know so clearly is that it's not, there's not power in being high-maintenance. There's power in being low-maintenance. Because as I shared with you in the very first installment of the series, if I love you, it says what I'll do for you. If I like you, it says what I'll do with you. And low-maintenance people get to have the synergy and the the partnership because people want to be around low-maintenance people. That's true. So then, what makes a low-maintenance person? You and I, let me just say this. You and I are going to be evaluated on three things every day of our lives. Every day of our lives, you get this pop quiz with three questions. This is so important. You're going to be evaluated on three levels. As I said in the first installment of this series, likable people bring more pluses than minuses. If you get a plus in all three of these areas, you're going to be a low-maintenance person, and you're going to be extremely likable. You may be so shy that you can barely say your name, but it won't matter because people will absolutely love having you around. You, you, know, you may be 90 years old, but that isn't going to matter because even young people are going to like to be around you. Or you may be, you know, you may be 12 years old. You say, Mark, I haven't even got really started in my life yet. I'm going to tell you, if you get a plus in all three of these areas, adults are going to just think you're the most awesome person in the world because these three areas were being evaluated on all of our, all of our lives. So let's talk about them. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a pro football fan. I love pro football. In fact... Pro football in the off season to me is more interesting than anything else when it's on season. And for those of you who like me and you love pro football, you know that yesterday and today is the NFL draft. draft. All right, I got some people out here who are just like me. So, what happens in the draft for those of you who might not like NFL pro football, what, what you have to understand is like there are 30, what, 32 teams, is that right, 32 teams? Something like that. Each team gets to take a turn picking a player out of college. I mean, like one team can't go and say, we want all these guys. You, you get to pick one, then the next team picks one, the next team picks one. That's the first round when you go through. And then you go to the second round and it starts all over again. You start picking. And it's very, very important because how well you pick determines your future. That's how, how good you're going to be. Now, when, when, when teams start looking at players, they look at players for likability in these same exact areas that you and I are not going to be evaluated on all the time. So let's talk about them. Let's put them in football terms. Let's put them in NFL terms. The first place an NFL team wants to know that a player can help them, they want him to have a plus on the field. They want him to be able to take the field and do the job. If they draft him to be a quarterback, they want him to throw more passes, uh, complete passes and interceptions. If they draft him to be a receiver, they want him to catch the ball. If they draft him to be a blocker, they want him to shield the quarterback and the running backs. I mean, whatever they draft him for, they want him to do his job. Every one of us is going to be evaluated the same way. You know, remember the person I told you about that does this? The problem with that person is the person is not competent, and they've got something to cover it up. If we want to be likable, first place, we've got to bring a plus, is just to do our job. And you know what? That's not just a cultural thing. It's not just something that your boss talks about. It's something that God talks about. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6, the Bible talks about bosses. It says, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. You say, Well, Mark, I don't, I, I don't, there's no reason for me to push because everybody around me just mails it in, and I got a jerk for a boss, and this person's not a follower of God. This person is profane and immoral, or whatever, and I just don't know why I should give my best for this guy. You're not giving your best for that guy or for that woman. You're giving your best because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you do it because you work for the Lord. You say, Well, Mark, I'm, it's not going to matter. I'm going to get the same pay as the guy next to me who doesn't do his job. It doesn't matter. It will matter because God will make it up to you. So that's the first place you and I are going to be. We're going to be evaluating. In my case, well, you know, I'm a pastor, so obviously I'm evaluated on that every day. I'm evaluated as an over, uh, overseer, supervisor. I'm evaluated as a communicator and, and a follower of Jesus and one who leads you to do the same thing. But you know what? That's probably not my greatest challenge at competency, and it'll do. But I got some other areas where I have to be competent. I'm a husband. And you know, if you're a husband, man, you need to do what you do. You, you, need, you need to be a, 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 a good husband. Don't wimp out. Don't ask your wife to be the leader all the time. You know, it's so easy, man, isn't it, to just go down in the basement and veg and watch, watch TV? Man, if, you, if you're a husband, you need to be competent. You're going to be evaluated. Is it a plus or is it a minus? Your wife may love you, but she, you may have some likability issues. <laughs> Get that plus, right? I mean, wife, same deal. You know, you say, well, you know what, I, I married him, he married me, so therefore everything's cool. We're just kind of like, you know, we understand, we have this understanding. If you're a wife, you have a role to play. Do you bring a plus or a minus? Same thing with parents, plus or minus. Every one of us needs to evaluate the areas of our lives, and, and it's, it's a God thing. Listen, this is why I, find, I think this is so interesting that we're talking about this in church. People don't talk about this in church. It's a God thing to do what you do. It's a God thing to do your job. It's a God thing to be competent. Most people don't think that's spiritual, but it is. Number two, NFL teams are going to judge a player on the field. Does he bring a plus or a minus? Because you know what? Even if they think he's a first-round draft choice, if he's a receiver and he drops the ball, if he's a quarterback and he just throws interceptions all the time, they will cut him because he does not bring a plus on the field. But there's another area where they're concerned about. They want him to bring a plus in the clubhouse. Because sometimes they will draft a guy who is all world when it comes to talent, but he is death in the clubhouse. Nobody can work with him. We have a guy in my, I hope you'll forgive me for this if you're not a Cowboy fan because people usually love them or hate them, but I grew up in Metroplex, so give me a pass if you will. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. We got a guy on our team right now who is a prime example of this. His name is Terrell Owens, or T O for short. He is one of the greatest receivers I ever saw in my life. I mean, he's just, he's all world. He does things that nobody else can do as a receiver, but he has a way of tearing teams up because in the clubhouse, he is death. Now, here's the first thing that you and I need to think about. It's important to be judged and our functionality, but the second thing we need to think about is life is going to ask us the question, how good a teammate are you? I have met and I have worked with talented people. I mean, if it came to producing a product, as long as that person was the only person, they would produce an A-plus product. The only problem was they could not be part of a team. And if, if that's anybody, you know, you say, well, Mark, I do my job. I just don't like to work with other people. Then you got a likability issue in that second area, that area of, of teammate i have a friend who, who ran a business for many years a very very successful business and he told me he said you know there were times when i had some guy who worked for me he could outwork and out he could produce any two workers but he said i had to let him go because he just had anger issues and because he had anger issues nobody could work with him so i just want to encourage you to understand that it's not enough to do your job you can get a plus there but if you get a minus in the clubhouse then it all falls apart There's a third place where NFL teams want the very best from a player, and we're hearing a lot about it these days because not only do the NFL teams want a plus on the field and a plus in the clubhouse, they want a plus in the community because these players, these highly compensated players, if they're in Dallas, they wear a star on their helmet. If they're in Kansas City, they wear an arrowhead on their helmet, and they go out into the community, and everybody in that community knows that player is a Kansas City Chief or a Dallas Cowboy or, God forbid, a Cincinnati Bengal. I'm not against Cincinnati, it's just that they've had a lot of run-ins with the law with their team in the last couple of years. So now teams are getting really, really scary. When Cincinnati came up to draft yesterday, one of the analysts said, I think the first round draft pick for Cincinnati needs to be the Pope. (laughs) Now, I want you to consider something for a moment. You and I, it's very, very important that we do our job and that we're, we're great to work with. But at some point, we're going to be sent out to work and represent somebody. You know, you can. If, if some of you have companies and you've hired a marketer or you've hired somebody to represent your company, and, yeah, that person is very competent, credentialed, great education, good with people, I mean, he's a backslapper and everything, and everybody likes to work with the guy and stuff, but you send him out to represent the company, and, oh, man, the phone calls come in. Don't send that guy out here ever again. And you start losing business. You've got to have a plus in all three areas. And somebody will say, well, Mark, I'm not a marketer. I'm self-employed or whatever. Friend, if you follow Jesus every day of your life, you're sent out to represent somebody. Amen. And you know what? You could be a Bible student, man. You could fill up pages with notes and stuff. And you could be fun for us to have around here at church. And maybe you've got a connection group and everything, and that's awesome. But if you go out into the world, if you go out into the marketplace of the world, and you're not a good reflection on Jesus, everything else goes down the tubes. You see what I'm talking about? Lackability is a, it's not a matter of personality, no. It's a matter of three very, very well-defined criteria. Do we bring a plus on the field? Do we bring a plus in the clubhouse? Do we bring a plus in the community? If we do, then we're truly lackable. You know, the Bible has a couple of verses about being a good representative, and I've loved these since I was a child. Let me give you the first one. The first one is a positive side. Before we get to the verse, you know, of course, the harvest took place in a very, very hot time of year. And, and the Bible is written in a Mediterranean climate. I mean, it could get brutally hot and brutally humid. And people would go out to the field. I mean, they would just wilt. And here's what, what, what Proverbs 25:13 says. Like the coolness of snow at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to those who send him, he refreshes the spirit of his master's. Now, snow at harvest time, for us as Americans, most of us who live in urban environments, doesn't really connect. But let me, give you a, let me give you an updated metaphor. You ever go to Disney World or something, and it's 103 degrees outside, and you walk through one of those mist trees? You know? Isn't that cool? I mean, you're just wilting, and you walk through one of those, and you just say, ah, oh, this is great. That's what the Bible is talking about. When you send somebody out, and they are a good representation, and they're a good reflection on you, the Bible says it's like a mist tree on an august day on the other side of this proverbs 10 verse 26 as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes so is a sluggard to those who send him and that's true for all of you who've ever been in management or anything and you've had to ask somebody to do a job for you and to represent you represent the company and they it was a fiasco yes indeed it's like having your teeth set on edge or like smoke blowing into your eyes now that's what That's the very essence of being low maintenance, bringing a plus on the field, in the clubhouse, and in the community. Low maintenance, as we start getting ready to end this message, low maintenance is usually attitude. In fact, I think I could strike the word usually. Low maintenance is attitude. It's attitude directed toward two things. Attitude toward circumstances and attitude toward authority. Those, if you have a right attitude, toward your issues and circumstances in life and toward authority, chances are you're gonna be a very low maintenance person. Let me ask you a question. Think about that high maintenance person that you thought about a little while ago. Isn't it true that person's got authority issues? Almost every time. And you know what? If they start telling you about their lies, I mean, it's just gonna drag it in because it's like this went wrong and that went wrong and it's not fair. And Boy, I, I, if I'd been in this circumstance, if I married this person, if this hadn't happened to me, uh... it's not fair the way i'm being treated (laughs) low maintenance is an attitude and it's a right attitude toward circumstances it says you know what stuff happens to everybody let's move on god is faithful god keeps his word low maintenance is a good attitude toward authority i may work for a jerk but if he's my boss i work for him if she's my boss i work for her you know i don't have time to read this this morning but you can read it when you go home in matthew twenty five jesus tells the story about this very rich man who left a lot of money in the hands of three of his managers. Let's just say one guy, he, left, he gave a million dollars and said, trade this, make me some money. He gave another guy hundred thousand dollars. He said, trade this and make me some money. He gave the third guy $10,000. And those are just numbers I'm pulling out of a hat to help you see the distribution. But he said to the last guy, take this $10,000, make me some money. First guy I took his million dollars, went out and made $2 million. Second guy, he had the 100,000, he went out and made 200,000. And when the boss came back, they told him what they did, and, and the boss had the same commendation for both guys, even though there was great disparity between the dollar amounts. He said, you guys are awesome. You did the job. I knew you had it in you. Well done. You're my guys. But the third guy who had $10,000 went out and dug a hole in the ground and buried the money. And when the boss came back, the guy said, hey, I got what, I got what you left me. I didn't steal anything. I didn't make anything for you, but I didn't steal anything. And the, and, the, and the owner was really upset about this. In fact, he called him. A lot of bad names. Now, I want you to hear the attitude of this guy. He said, this, not, not the boss, but the guy that dug a hole in the ground and buried the 10,000. He said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I'd lose your money, so I hit it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. You hear that guy's attitude coming out? It's not my fault. It's your fault. You're a hard man. You, nobody can work for you. Nobody can please you, notwithstanding that his two compatriots did. But it was an attitude issue. And that's how it is with being high maintenance and and being low maintenance. In closing today, if you'll grant me a little attitude, I want to talk about, in my view, outside of Jesus, the most likable person in the Bible. If you've been at New Spring for a long time, you will know that I love to talk about this guy. I have a sermon series. In fact, I, I usually don't listen to my sermons because I just pick them to pick them apart. And, and but there's one sermon series out of all the 35 or 40 series that I've, I've spoken here that I will listen to, and it's the series on this guy's life. It's my absolute favorite. I preached it in '97. The guy's name is Joseph. Joseph to me is the most likable person in the Bible. I mean, life just keeps knocking him down. I mean. He's got a wonderful attitude towards circumstances. He doesn't start moaning and crying, but he just gets right back up. And every time, it's just like people adore him. It doesn't matter who they are. They love this guy. They like him. They want to do stuff with him. Let me tell you a little bit of his background. And many of you, I know, will know this, but just hang with me for a few moments because I want to make sure everybody knows where this guy comes from. Because somebody will say, well, Mark, it's easy for some people to be like, well, they lead charmed lives, they're golden boys, golden girls, they're beautiful, whatever. Everything just falls into place for them. You don't understand. My family didn't treat me well, and, and I've been fired from jobs I didn't deserve to be fired from. And if all those things hadn't happened to me, I'd be like, well, listen to Joseph's story. He was the 11th of 12 brothers. He was his father's favorite, but he was his brother's least favorite, probably because of the first fact. And they hated him. And on top of that, his dad didn't help. He did some strategic things that were, that were not smart at all. He sent Joseph down to check on his older brothers. In effect, Joseph became the hall monitor for his other brothers. And just the sight of him made them so angry, they said, we're going to kill him. Let's kill him. This is our chance. He's a long way away from precious daddy. We'll just kill this boy and tell daddy that he died. And they put him in a pit and they planned to do it. But all of a sudden, somebody had a bright idea. Well, let's not kill him. Let's sell them, and they'll kill them. That way we won't be guilty, and God thought they would have been. But they were making up their religion as they go, like a lot of people in our world today. And so they said, well, let's just, let's just sell them. And they did. They sell them to these guys, and they don't know them. These guys are from another country. They're from another culture. And, 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 and here Joseph goes. I mean, what would it be like? Some of you have dealt with sibling rivalry, but what would it be like to be sold by your brothers and sisters, and they did. And they, they, they put a rope around Joseph's wrists, and they dragged him behind a camel off to Egypt. Now, if you want, if you want a set of circumstances that give you the right to be high-maintenance, I'd say Joseph is right up there, wouldn't you? Yeah. But he starts off as a servant, and you know what? He goes in there, and even though he's in Egypt, and they speak a different language, and Joseph's hair is long, and everybody, all these guys' heads are shaved, and he's in a totally different culture, they like him, and he starts rising through the ranks. He happened to wind up in the house of a man who would be our equivalent of our Joint Chiefs of Staff in America. He was the top military guy in Egypt, and he rose to the ranks until finally, the Bible says that everything that happened in that household, Joseph managed. Potiphar, all he, this is the guy who was his boss. All Potiphar knew about was the food that was on his plate. Joseph managed everything else. Something bad happened though, because Potiphar's wife was she was a real hot girl. She was a hot chick. She was beautiful. Everybody. Everybody said, boy, she's the most beautiful girl in town. But the problem was she started lusting after Joseph, and she kept trying to get Joseph to sin with her because he worked there at the house every day. And Joseph kept rebuffing her, and finally one day it was just she and Joseph in the house. And she grabbed his clothes, and the only thing that Joseph could do was run out of his coat. And she had his coat, and when her husband got home, she flipped the story and said that Joseph tried to rape her now, if you want to be high-maintenance, how about that for a circumstance? Because he started the day with a great job. He ended the day in jail. And Joseph could have said, it's not fair. I was trying to do the right thing, but now he's in prison. But he's in jail. And guess what the Bible says? If you read the book of Genesis, the Bible will say that even in jail, they liked him. And he just, started, you know, he just started rising through the ranks until finally he was the top guy in the jail. He was the top prisoner, and basically the warden just turned everything over to Joseph. Well, there were a couple of the king's servants, the Pharaoh's servants, who wound up in jail. And Pharaoh Pharaoh later on, you know, excuse me, the the two servants of the the Pharaoh had had dreams, and they didn't understand them. And God had given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams, and Joseph said, this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, it happened just like that. And Joseph said, when you get back to the Pharaoh, tell him about me, because I'm down here and I'm an innocent man. And so when the guy got his job back who worked for the Pharaoh, he didn't say anything about Joseph. He was just glad that he got out of jail. And sure, you know, all the guys down in jail are are, guilt, are innocent. So it, about two, th- two years past, all this time, Joseph's down in jail for, a, for something he didn't do. He's been forgotten. I mean, again, i told you being likable has a whole lot to do with how you respond to circumstances and how you respond to authority. Man, Joseph has had a lot of circumstances. If he wanted to sit in jail and be high maintenance, he could have been. But one day the Pharaoh had a dream that he couldn't interpret. And his servant said... I should have had a V8. There's a guy down there in jail who knows how to interpret dreams. And they bring Joseph out and Pharaoh's dream had something like this going. You know, Joseph said, Your dream says there's going to be seven really, really hot economic years, great prosperity, a lot of crops. Then they're going to be followed by seven very, very bad economic years, and there's not going to be enough to eat. And if I were you, sir, what I would do is I would like really save up a whole lot of produce during the good years and I would store it, and then in the bad years, then you'll have food for people so they won't starve to get, death, and I'd find me a really sharp boy to run this operation. And Pharaoh said, Well, I don't think we got anybody as sharp here as you. You got the job. You're the governor. You're basically administrating this country. All that happened by the time Joseph was 29. You know the story how that he became really the most important man in the world and how he forgave his brothers. So that's why I tell you, and by the way, I've just given you the Cliff Note version. If you want to read this when you go home, it's Genesis 37 through 50. It's some of the most awesome reading you'll ever do in the Bible. You're going to read about one of the most likable people in the Bible. But I made a list. In my mind are the things that I thought made Joseph likable. I see some of you going for pen and paper, so I want to give you just a few seconds here because it's, it's really time for the service to end. But there, there are several things here that I think made Joseph the most likable guy in the Old Testament for sure. And he was the ultimate low-maintenance guy. People just loved him. They, they rose him through the ranks. They promoted him. Even when he got knocked down, He was—he just kept being promoted until finally God made him the most powerful man in the world. So here we go, and I always tell you this when I talk about Joseph, I can't get away from it. Joseph always brought his A game. Tiger Woods has taught us to think like that, right? Tiger can have an off day, so I didn't bring my A game. His A game is his very best. Joseph always brought his A game. A lot of people don't. They think, well, I got a C-plus job, so I'm going to give a C-plus effort. I got a B-minus job, so I'm going to give a B-minus effort. But if I ever got an A-plus job, I'd bring my A-plus game. Joseph brought his A game to every job. I don't think he was any more fastidious about his effort when he was governor than when he was a prisoner in jail and he was working on the projects down there. You give Joseph a circumstance, he's going to bring his A game. I may be talking to somebody here today, and you say, well, Mark, I, you know, I have a minimum wage job right now. I'm, maybe I'm going through college, and, and, but I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a, a businessman or a businesswoman. I'm, I'm going to reach the top, and when I do, I'm going to start bringing my top effort. Let me tell you something. If you're in a minimum wage job, how you work that minimum wage job will tell how you'll work at any other job in your life. You know what? If you're working at McDonald's right now, and you're thinking someday you're going to be an attorney or an engineer, let me tell you, take a look at your work effort at McDonald's. It will tell what you'll do when you're making a six-figure income. Joseph always brought his A-game. Number two, Joseph trusted God for his outcome because people were always messing with him. You know, this is one of the things that makes us not likable sometimes because people do mess with us. They jerk us around. They write us hostile emails. They say things about us. They undercut us. They lie to us. They do this. They do that. That happens to every person in this building. If you choose to focus on that, and if somehow you get the idea that person has a chunk of your future, what often happens is we'll begin to respond negatively to that, and our negative response will not make us likable. Joseph had a lot of people messing with him. And he could have chosen to be gotten bitter by, it. But he said, you know what? When I was a kid, God gave me dreams. And I'm going to trust God for my outcome. Here's number three. Oh, this is big. Because a lot of us are Christians and many of us grew up in church. I like this one. Joseph knew that being a God follower was not an excuse for mailing it in. I've known Christian people that had the idea, well, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible, so therefore, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do at work. Yes, it does. In fact, if you're a God follower, you ought to be the hardest worker in the plant. You ought to be the strongest teacher in the, in, the, in the school, university, if you're a God follower. Number three, I love this one. The loudest voice in this world were God-given dreams. I mean, Potiphar's wife was screaming at him. Joseph's brothers were screaming at him. You know, the, the, the failure and the forgottenness that he was encountering, those things were yelling at Joseph, and, and all that maelstrom, that cacophony of sound. The loudest voice Joseph heard was God saying to him as a teenager, you and I go do great things together. Amen. That's powerful. Here's another one. I, I noticed how that he was a slave, and then he became you know, uh, a, a highly trusted manager, and then he went to jail, and then he became the governor. One thing about Joseph, he took it one task at a time. That's that's a very important way to be likable. Take it one thing at a time. You don't have to do tomorrow's job today. Do today's job today. He didn't compartmentalize. He didn't say, well, I'm in Egypt, so I don't have to do my best because I'm a Jew, and if I was over with my family, he didn't compartmentalize. He just said, this is the task that I have today, and I'm going to do my best. And finally, he did not let petty personal things Keep him from his purpose. When I think about people that I know who are not very likable, it, like I said, doesn't come down to personality. Almost every time, it's people who focus on tiny little petty things. I always tell my staff, I don't mind being eaten by a shark, I just don't want to be nibbled to death by menace. And I mean that. You know? You can can live with the petty or you can stay focused on your purpose. And if you stay focused on your purpose, you know what? The one thing about you is you're going to be consistent and people are going to like to be around you because you're always going to be talking about your purpose, what it is that you're destined to do. So i got to quit now because I've reached the end of my time and we have another one of these services coming up in a few minutes. But I just want to challenge you today, take a good look at your life as I do my life and ask ourselves, do we bring the pluses in the areas on the field in the clubhouse, and in the community. Are we high maintenance or low maintenance? Low maintenance people are likable. People want to do things with them, and they're attractive, and they get to go through a lot of doors. My prayer is that's for you.